0: Worship team, thank you very much. Would you all give them a hand? Give the worship team a hand. Yes, thank you. The worship team and, and many other ministry teams here at Living Word really do put in a lot of um, a lot of preparation, a lot of work. Uh, we appreciate their gifts and how they use that to, to glorify the Lord and, and all of our volunteers and, and servants here at Living Word. And Um, we have a lot of, a lot of people that put in a lot of time and we are very appreciative of, of all of those things. Well, this morning, um, we've been looking, um, the last few weeks at the study of David. If you've been with us, um, even once or twice over the last uh, few weeks, we've been talking about, um, the person of David and everything, his life and his, his rule, um, in, in the land of, of Israel, of course, and, and everything that that meant, um, it's okay if you're just, if you're just coming back, if you're just here for the first time, even this morning, we'll catch you up quickly on some of these things. Uh, we will be in 2nd Second, uh, Second Samuel chapter 6 this morning. 2nd Samuel chapter 6. So you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you have them. If you don't, don't worry. That will be up on the screen. And we've also provided some notes in your bulletin this morning that you um, can follow along with us as we work through that. Um, so we've watched then as Israel moved um, a few, a handful of weeks ago from the era of judges, right? At one point, the land of Israel was ruled by judges. They didn't have a King. And what did they do? They begged God, right? For a King. They, they apparently needed a King. Um, and so they moved then God, God allowed them then to move into this era of Kingship. Uh, of course of Saul being the first King of Israel. And we've been, so we've been watching all these things happen in the life of David. Um, we 've watched this epic battle, of course, with Goliath, uh, one of the more um, familiar of course, stories of David is this encounter with the Goli- uh, giant Goliath it 's been very interesting to watch as God shapes david 's life to watch how he continually comes to the lord it 's one of the, my most uh, favorite things about David. He comes back to the Lord even after even after sin uh, that we'll um, we 'll hear about here next week or, or the week after this uh, again, a very familiar part of David's life is this affair with Bathsheba. Um, even after those things, David continually walks back to the Lord, doesn't he? And, and, and ultimately um, known as, as a man after God's own heart. As we get into it this morning, though, the previous chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 5, describes David officially becoming the rightful king of Israel. So remember, a few weeks ago, um, we talked about um, we talked about Samuel going and actually anointed, anointing David the king, right? Well, remember, Saul was still on the throne. So David wasn't in the eyes of Israel, wasn't yet the official king of Israel. Well, chapter previous to chapter 6, um, David officially becomes the rightful king of Israel um, after conquering the last remaining holdout tribe from Saul's kingdom. This is in your notes there, the Jebusites the Jebusites, um, which had taken hold, uh, actually, of the city of Jerusalem. So the Jebusites had this area that was Jerusalem, and they are now um, officially, though, under David's command. He's taken Jerusalem. He needs Jerusalem as his capital city. Um, the, The Quest NIV Study Bible Commentary had this to say about the bigger purposes for David taking that city. Listen to this. Jerusalem was in David's region. Though technically located in territory belonging to Benjamin, Jerusalem was just five or six miles from David's town of Bethlehem in Judah. Besides being close to his home, Jerusalem offered David a strategic military advantage. And since it was situated in the heart of the promised land, it was accessible to both the northern and southern tribes. By making Jerusalem his capital, David gave himself an edge in uniting the people and putting his own stamp of leadership on the land, end quote. So, so David goes and he takes the city of Jerusalem by force and through that action um, actually helps to unite the whole land, of, of the whole, his whole kingdom. And so now with David on the throne in Jerusalem and the whole kingdom of Israel united and intact, um, David sets out to start his new official rule with a bang, right? He's going to go and he's going to get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back to the city of Jerusalem. Um, Speaking in terms of, think national pride, okay, for a little bit for Jerusalem. Um, Hypothetically speaking, this would be similar to to america going and and getting i don't know the declaration of independence right and bringing it back to our capital city in terms of national pride now separate that a little bit because we're speaking in terms of faith and the and what the ark represented for the people of god right much more significance than a than a paper document okay think of those terms now god promised through the ark of course that his literal presence would be with them because of the ark his literal presence would be in the ark. Acting, so the ark then acted as somewhat of a portable sanctuary for the Israelites, right? This ark of the covenant act as a, as a portable sanctuary. This picture of what the ark, um, may have looked like from, um, now you may not know this and I'm going to reference this a little bit. Um, later, God gave very specific instructions on how the ark was to be made, what it was to be made of, the dimensions that it was supposed to be um, made to. Very specific instructions, so we can actually have a pretty good picture of what it of what it looked like. Um, so strong was God's presence, though, in the ark that the Israelites had to carefully follow God's pre- um, instructions in handling it, or uh, the um, the Levitical priests then. Um, who were from the tri- tribe of, uh, of Levi, uh, one of the 12 tribes of Judah, were the only ones actually permitted to carry the ark. They were the only ones allowed to carry it. And when the ark was mishandled, get what happened? Even accidentally, if it was mishandled even accidentally, as we'll read this morning, God's presence, His holiness burned with intensity, and many actually died throughout Scripture just from coming into physical contact with the ark or looking into it. It's a piece of the story many of you are probably familiar with. um, As a story, the Ark of the Covenant was made famous even in secular American culture, of course, by Harrison Ford and everybody with me, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? (laughs) Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, But for sake of time this morning, we're not going to get into the specific dimensions or the makeup or why was the ark uh, built this way? We're not going to get into that so much this morning. If you would like to do a little bit of study on your own, go to Exodus 25 and there's a very detailed um, explanation of what it was made of. Again, the dimensions and all of that very interesting stuff. um, If you'd like to check that out on your own, encourage you to do that. But through the ark, And the detailed process that God um, gives, that he required the Israelites to go through to carefully construct and handle it, we can see a God that would not let his holiness be diminished, even even by man's carelessness. I apologize. He would not let his holiness be diminished, even by man's carelessness. Let me also say this as we get into more of this message this morning. Speaking of God's holiness can be, can seem complicated. Okay, I get this. And so let's be real for a minute this morning. Um, there are all these things happening in the Old Testament, um, especially that can, that can seem confusing and difficult to reconcile with what we know about God. If we don't, listen, if we don't understand the full picture of God's character, but know that God doesn't produce in us feelings of, of guilt or shame. That's not within who he is. However, we do know that God, through the person of the Holy Spirit, does bring conviction. So I want, to, I want you to hear this this morning. As we have this conversation about God's holiness, as we get into the subject, as we press into the reality of God's character as it relates to his holiness, I have endeavored, of course, to first provide the full picture from Scripture As Pastor Barden says, um, you don't want our opinion of a subject, right? You don't want our personal opinion. You don't want my feelings or or opinions on the subject of God's holiness. We've got to look back to the Word of God, amen? We want the ultimate truth from the Word of God. So even if there's this uh, conviction or discomfort about the holiness, the truth is ultimately that we were made in God's image and we can trust that God is good and true in spite of our feelings on the subject. So let's read together. This is 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. As David sets out to bring the ark home to Jerusalem. Follow along with me. This is verse 1. David again brought together all the young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala and Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, think of Ohio, but with an A, sons of Abinadab were guiding the cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. Now notice notice how seemingly um, without much hassle, this was the first piece that popped out at me. That David just gets thirty thousand men together. Okay, think of a third of Wayne County just going and marching to Rochester, right? Um, for what? I don't know exactly what we would be getting from Rochester, um, but but think of that number of people, right? A lot of people just David just calls together. Now he's the king, so he's got a little pool. Okay, I I, I get it, but understand. The, that bringing the ark to the new capital was this significant, right? It it, it meant a, a huge deal to the people of Israel. They would not have spared any expense or any energy in celebration of this moment. This was this was huge. Okay, looking on at verse five. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. Every instrument that was around at that time of the world, the Israelites had it and they were using it to worship, to worship the Lord as they went, uh, as they celebrated to go get this ark. I want you to picture the, the, the hugeness of this moment. They're going to go get right the presence of the Lord and bring it to the capital city. That's how much this meant. So this chapter, this section of Second Samuel shows us how the people of the Lord celebrated God in his holiness, both David and the Israelites. So we've got to understand the Ark of the Covenant, also sometimes known as the Ark of the Testimony and how crucial it was to God's people. But we're also quickly going to see what happens when God's holiness is dishonored and the mood of the party quickly turned from celebration to fear. This is verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day the place is called Perez-Uzzah. Um, that, that, that city name Perez-Uzzah literally means outbreak against Uzzah. The Lord's wrath had broken out against him. When we think of the, or use the word outbreak, we think of this powerful and consuming force, don't we? That's that's taking over, impacting the world. Um, we use it in reference, of course, to a disease when there's an there's an outbreak of Ebola, or, you know, whatever. That, that's covering, it's massive. The sheer force then of God's holiness was more than Uzzah's body could handle. And this is the complicated part of God's character that I was referring to a little bit earlier. We tend to have a watered-down concept of God's character sometimes, don't we? We can picture Him as this man in the clouds with a white beard, right? But we err when we separate God's judgment and wrath as a part of who He is. It's more comfortable to think of God in terms of just this all-loving God, right? And He is that. But what one of the things I want to center our hearts a little bit on this morning is that God can be both completely loving and completely holy, right? And those two do not have to separate. Even throughout the New Testament, and most definitely in the book of Revelation, we see a God who will be our ultimate judge. It's a buzzword in our culture right now, right? Don't judge me. I hear that probably 20 times a week through youth group. Don't judge me. Don't get me started. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me started. Um, It it can have a tendency then to diminish the finality and earth-shattering event that judgment will be at the end of our lives. It's not a question of if God is our judge. It's a reality, and we've got to be able to reconcile both God's goodness with his judgment. C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Anybody C.S. Lewis fans? Good stuff, yep. Portrayed this concept perfectly as he portrayed Jesus as the lion, Aslan. Early in the book, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver describe Aslan to the children. Mrs. Beaver says, If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. So the children asked whether he's safe. Mr. Beaver replies, Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. And that is the irony of God's character, isn't it? So this account of God striking down Uzzah can be a little bewildering to us if we've misplaced God's judgment as a part of his character. So let's look deeper into what was happening here. Just from reading this account, um, we can be understandably confused, can't we, about what just happened? Like, wait a minute, I thought Uzzah was just catching the ark because the oxen stumbled. That's exactly what this passage says, right? Uzzah reached out to grab the ark because the oxen stumbled. That's all that was happening here, right? If we kind of look just at the surface of that scripture, um, it can seem like, what in the world happened here? So let's dig into a little bit. And I think we're actually going to end up seeing that, that Uzzah was not this innocent bystander. Again, back in your notes, I believe. He was not an innocent bystander. You see, Uzzah was a member of the Kohathites, one of three main branches of the Levite tribe. Everybody say Kohathites. I had to practice that word like 20 times this week. It's a little bit of a tongue twister. Kohathites. Um, They were one of the three main branches of the Levitical tribe. Okay, so the Kohathites were also Levites, um, but they were one of the three main branches of the Levitical tribe. And they were specifically tasked with moving the holy items within the tabernacle sanctuary, the menorah, the table of showbread, um, and the ark. Um, You can read also about these specific tasks that were given to these uh, three branches of the Levites. This is back in Numbers chapter 4, if you'd like to read that on your own as well, Numbers chapter 4. And that's where some of this is coming from as well this morning. Author and pastor Dr. Tim Chester makes this point that as a Levite, Azah should have taken seriously the past instances of God's wrath against carelessness with the ark. Reading 1 Samuel six nineteen through 20 we see one of these past warnings of God's judgment because of carelessness with the ark. It reads this, But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they looked into the ark of the Lord. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And the people of Beth Shemesh asked, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? You see, the, the holiness of God then was in full display to the people of Beth Shemesh because of his wrath. And this display of God's holiness should have served to Izzah and the other members carrying the ark that should have served as a warning for them to, to show extreme caution, especially the Levites. Chester also points out that Uzzah, as one of the men in charge of the operation moving the ark, was not doing it in a correct way. And let's look at what Chester is referring to. We read in chapter in Numbers 4, um, verse 20, that although the Kohathites were permitted to move the objects within the sanctuary, they were not allowed to see or look at them. Numbers 4.20. But the Kohathites must not go in to look at the holy things even for a moment, or they will die. So how do they do this, you may ask? Okay, they're supposed to carry these things but not see them? You know, that that again, if we're just reading there, it may, it may seem um, confusing. How could they possibly pick these things up without looking or seeing them? Remember, God gave detailed instructions for all of these things. And even for that process, he had uh, instructions for how it was supposed to be handled. Um, God had prescribed that the Levite priests were first supposed to cover the ark with a curtain. All right. And then also a special leather case. These actions then would have prevented the Kohathites from ever seeing the contents and then the ark was to be carried, meaning transporting the ark would have looked something like this. All right, with the cover, the leather case, as well as this curtain-type material over the ark. So instead, for a reason unknown to us, it seems as though Uzzah had decided to use one of the temple carts to transport the ark instead of carrying it. Verse three, look back at verse three that we read from chapter six. Um, then they set the ark of God on a new cart. Why, why was that? Why did they not follow the process? What, what was their reason? With those types of things, those questions, we won't know. But what we can see is that they were not following the prescribed process that God had given them. Um, from Numbers, um, seven, verses six through nine, the Kohathites were not given any carts. They weren't even given a cart. The other two branches of the Levites that I talked about, the, both of those tribes of, of Levite had been given carts, not the Kohathites. Remember they were to carry the ark on the shoulders. That's what we read from number six, um, number seven, six through nine. They were to carry on the shoulders, the holy things for which they were responsible. So Uzzah was not carrying the ark as he was supposed to, and he was moving it on a cart he had not been permitted to use. All of these facts from Scripture point to the carelessness of Uzzah. He was not innocent. Innocent. He had taken a shortcut. He had ignored the warnings of the past missteps with the ark, and he had acted out of line with God's instructions and standards. He had underestimated God's holiness, didn't he? And because of that, he paid with his life. Back to 2 Samuel now, um, 6, verse 9. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 9. David was afraid of the Lord that day. Remember, guys, he had just watched this Levite priest um, killed by the Lord and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite, The Ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. So David had originally set out with 30,000 of his men to celebrate this momentous occasion of bringing the Ark of the Covenant to his new capital city, and instead, because of the death of Uzzah and David's fear, it sent to the home of a Gentile. Someone who's not even in the land of Israel. It's sent to this Gittite, who, as we read, was blessed by God, presumably just because of the proximity of the ark. It's just there. And where God's presence is, right? There's goodness. There's fullness. So his, his, his family was blessed for the, for the reason, simple reason of the proximity of the ark. Think back to 30,000 men from Wayne County marching to Rochester. Okay, we get to Rochester. We pick up this thing that we're supposed to be bringing back to—I don't know what's the capital city of—Lions. Cow- okay, we're going to march back to Lions. Okay, and we get there. We pick this thing up. This bad thing happens. Oh, uh, never mind. We're not going to do this now. How many people would be a little upset that we just walked all the way to Rochester and now we're not getting the thing that we came to get? Okay, so you can you can again kind of picture picture this scene here. But reading instead, hearing that the Lord was blessing Obed-Edom through the ark, it appears David is almost jealous and is suddenly ready um, to have the ark again, right? He hears about this blessing of Obed-Edom and his household. Um, This is verse 12. The Lord had blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. You can almost hear David say, no, there's no way this Gentile is going to get the blessing that, that is rightfully ours in Israel, right? So so David, then they're going to make a second trip, all right? Wayne County, we're marking, we're marching back to Rochester now. Here we go. Second time. Who's with me, you know? So it's actually coming back to Jerusalem this time. So now I want you, as we, as we make the second journey, as they make the second journey back to get the ark, I want to, I want you to watch something and how this, this time it's going to be different from the first time. All right. This is verse 13. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he, David, sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Can you see the different posture almost immediately that they have now with the ark? six steps. Stop. We're making a sacrifice right now. I know you've got this heavy thing on your shoulders, but we're going to sacrifice and we're going to do it now. Okay. It's being carried as prescribed. Also, there's no mention of a cart this time, right? It's being carried as it was supposed to originally. And to further show the position of their hearts, like I said, a sacrifice is made. If we look ahead at verse 17 of this chapter, we see that when the ark finally arrived at its resting place in Jerusalem, they sacrifice again. David is taking no chances this time, is he? He's make sure to esteem God's holiness in the proper way. You get this picture of David and his men now taking this extreme care and caution because of the, the horrific display of God's holiness the first time. They made sure they would not be guilty this time of misstepping before the Lord. So, what does Scripture teach us and show us about God's holiness? What can we take away from this section of Scripture? I want to leave you with with three points this morning that I want you to be able to take away about God's holiness. First off, God's holiness cannot be ignored. God's holiness cannot be ignored. We see often in Scripture that when God's ways are mocked or God's people rebel against His plan, things go very badly for them, don't they? The Old Testament was in many ways then God establishing His authority on earth to His people. Yet just like children do, right? The Israelites pushed back against this authority almost the entire way. And we do that also, don't we, with our sin, with a wrong in our life. His authority, though, was to be taken seriously. God's holiness, secondly, God's holiness is dangerous. All right, and I've got a little, I've got a helper this morning to come. Riley, would you come on up? Would you help me real quick with something here? The Bible often speaks of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord with one of the most common references coming from Psalm 111, verse 10. All right, would you tell us that, verse Riley? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Good job. Good job. Thanks, honey. Good job. (laughs) So the general understanding of fear, if God's holiness is dangerous, the general understanding of fear in this context is is a reverence and awe of the Lord, right? However... If the Lord struck down someone in front of you, I bet there would still be a bit of real fear, don't you? Uh, The rest of this verse that we're not as familiar with is this, that second part that Riley um, told us. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. So there's this correlation made by the psalmist between following God's commands and the fear of the Lord. Which takes us back to the first point of us taking God's instructions for our lives seriously. If we had to connect the pieces ourselves, we could paraphrase the, the two parts of the verse and simply say, by following the instructions of the Lord, we show our respect for the Lord. And lastly, last point, and the most important piece, I think, as we leave this morning, God's holiness is good. God's holiness is good. When the ark rested with Obed-Edom, we see how the Lord blesses him and his family. The presence of God, living word this morning, the presence of God is good. With the ark, God promised to be with his people and through his presence, bless them. The contents of the ark itself were a continual reminder to the Israelites of the goodness of God. Because inside the ark, there were contained a jar of manna. Right, which was, of course, a symbol of God's provision to the Israelites as they wandered through the desert for 40 years. They also inside the ark was, was the budded rod of Aaron, as well as the Ten Commandment tablets. All consistent reminders of the steady provision of God. Even though the Israelites had disobeyed, even though they wandered for 40 years, God was still good and He was reminding them of that through the ark. But God's goodness in the Old Testament was not the end of the story of God's goodness. It was not the end. As we watched in the video, the story of the goodness of God was not yet fully known because Jesus had not yet come onto the earth who was both fully man and fully God. An all important pillar of our faith in God is that he is holy. Yet you and I are completely and utterly able to stand clean and pure before him because of our sin. Completely unable. Romans 3.23 tells us that we've all sinned. We are all impure before a holy God. Without the constant sacrifice to make the Old Testament uh, followers uh, pure, they risked dying, as some did, because of God's holiness. But just like they were given complete access to God through the Ark of the Covenant, through that sacrifice, we are given complete access to the Father because of the shed blood of Jesus. Because of the sacrifice that was paid on the cross. This conversation, this topic of God's holiness can, can consequently create almost this feeling of heaviness, this weight on our shoulders. Well, what do I do? Right? I've got this thing though. There's this, this, we, our, our lives cannot comprehend God's holiness because we know the state of our hearts. There's this realization that you and I will never measure up to God's holiness. And that is true, but Jesus releases that weight from our hearts. He releases that, that feeling of condemnation. He releases us from that heaviness, because of His sacrifice. because salvation through Christ alone, it frees us from that burden and of sin. I'm thankful that we don't live under the constant threat of God breaking out against us, right? Because of our sin, because of our impurity as he did with Uzzah. Jesus became God's hand on earth, reaching out to us and making us pure before the Father in in a way that we would never, will never be able to do on our own. If you're here this morning and you're not walking in obedience with the Lord, if you're not walking in relationship with him, I hope you'll submit to the goodness of the Lord this morning and walk in relationship with him. Jesus wants to take that impurity from your life. He wants to take that thing in you that you can't reconcile with God's holiness and make that part of you clean. If you'd like to make that decision this morning, you can. Um, we invite you to do a couple things. First, there's a card. That card that I mentioned, um, there's a second one in the, in the seat back in front of you. Take that card. Let us know that you've made that decision this morning. Fill that out. We would love to walk with you then in that decision. We would love to walk with you and help you to grow in what it means to walk in relationship with the Lord. You need that community. We all need that community, right? Amen. We want to do that with you moving forward. So please do that. Fill that card out. You can flip that over, leave that in your seat, and we will pick that up um, after service this morning or you're welcome to hand it to one of us ushers, usher, ushers as well this morning, excuse me. Second, I'd love to pray this morning for those, for all of us, but for those also who may realize they may need to take that next step in their walk with the Lord. Jo- let's jo- join me, please, as we pray. Join me. Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for the fullness of your character. We thank you for your holiness. And um, God, just the realization here this morning that we will never meet. We will never match. We will never be able to come before you without a sacrifice. So, Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son in our world. God, in all the pain and everything that's going on around us, God, we trust um, the sacrifice of your son to bring us before a holy God. I pray for those in in realization of their need for a Savior this morning. Would you just, by your Spirit, speak to their hearts and help show them their need for you this morning. Help us as a church then, um, as, a tr- as Living Word members, to, to wrap our arms around people, God, who are walking, who want to walk in a relationship with you. God, that we would be open to discipling and help others to grow and, and entering into relationships of accountability even, God, with people who need you in their lives, God. Help us to make those commitments. Lord, we thank you for who you are. And everyone said... Amen. As we leave this morning, and you're welcome. I think I'm letting you out a little early. You're welcome. (laughs) Don't tell pastor though. Okay. Don't, I don't No. As we leave this morning, I like to, I like to remind us, remember um, your mission, your mission field isn't here. Your mission field isn't here. There's that sign. I, I talk about it. I love that sign. As you leave the driveway because it's a, it's a reminder as we leave this place that your life as a follower of Christ doesn't stop when you walk out those doors. Amen? There are people in your sphere of influence that need the Lord, that need a relationship with the Lord, and you and I might just be the one person that the Lord's put in their lives to lead them to Him. I, I tell that to my youth, and I stress that with them. There are people that are hurting And they need the hope that only Christ can bring. So think this week as you leave from this place, um, how you can be Jesus to those around you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming this morning. Hope you all have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.